you're on the road to shalom this is a podcast dedicated to exploring the way things are supposed to be how and why they're not and what we can do maybe to change that at least a little bit i'm fran Shaka, i'm the show's host and i want to welcome you you know i'm guessing that your smartphone is overheating about this time from all the input it's getting from every corner of the known universe and just what you ought to buy for everything in your life that has a pulse I've heard there's even talk about making Black Friday shopping an extreme sport next year. I mean, not really, but it's pretty much a contact sport already, I think. In this last episode before Christmas, I wanted us to explore the question of what might be on Agur's Christmas list. Now, if you don't recognize Agur's name, don't feel bad, honestly. It only appears once in the entire Bible. But that doesn't make him insignificant, I don't think, you know? I mean, most likely your name doesn't appear at all, right? I mean, mine sure does. But his name does appear. In fact, Jesus actually stole a few of Agur's words to pop into some of his teaching later on that we call the Lord's Prayer. So pay attention as we step into this obscure man's life and see if you can figure out what you might give him for Christmas if you were shopping for him. And oh yeah, and see if you can figure out just what it was that Jesus borrowed from him. Okay, we'll talk about that later. I'll see you on the other side. All right, we're going to take some time and look at Jaka's son. You guys all know Jaka's son. He's a key player in the Bible. His name appears once in the entire Bible. But he's a man worth following. His name is Agur, A-G-U-R. And there's some ancient truths that I think come from his life that you and I would never find on social media, ever find on social media at all. All right, the first one, you're going to think this is cruel, and I don't mean to be cruel, all right? But the first one is that those who truly know, know that they don't know. Those who truly know, know that they don't know. And the words of Agur are in Proverbs 30. He gets the, basically the second to the last chapter in that book. And there's a few things. We're going to go through his, what he says uh, a little bit piece by piece. He says, the man declares, I'm weary, O God, I'm weary, O God, and worn out. Surely, I'm too stupid to be a man. I've not the understanding of a man. I've not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? Surely you know. Now that sounds a lot like the book of Job. But what Agur is doing in the first nine verses is building his case for credibility to be listened to in verses 10 through the rest of the chapter. 10 through the rest of the chapter is very proverbish. It's just classic proverb. But the first nine verses, particularly the two that we're going to focus in at the end, are very, very different. But one of the things that Agur came to realize about himself, he was one of these guys who truly knew because he knew what he didn't know. He admitted that he didn't know as much as others. I'm stupid, he said. That's not self-deprecating, it's poetic, but he's saying, I don't know as much as other people. And one of the greatest signs of maturity in knowledge and learning, and I say this from 25 years in the classroom and 40 years of teaching, is the smartest people are the ones that admit what they don't know. 
And I have gotten up and left Christian meetings where someone's teaching that the spirit of arrogance and pride exuded from this person. I just thought, I, I'm not going to listen to a fool. That's not an arrogant statement on my part. That's scripture. And Agur had a keen sense of what he didn't know. All right? He also admitted that he didn't know much compared to what could be known. That's really the basis of humility and learning. And I say this in this era, I don't think there's ever been an era in human history where the pressure to communicate to people that we know has been greater because of how much information is out there. And if we can't say we know something, it comes across as a character flaw that we're lazy rather than that we just don't know something. And when it comes to God, beloved, there's better be a whole lot of stuff that you and I flat out have to say, I don't know. And then Agur admitted he didn't know anything compared to what God knew. And we heard that at the end. That sounds a lot like Job, about holding the wind in his hands. And humility, which is, a, is an essential characteristic for finishing the race and finishing the course, causes me to admit I'm always missing something. And those of us that are older in this room know this. You see this buried in the story of the woman caught in adultery. Do you remember the story where this the Jews set up this snare, a sting operation, and set this woman up, dragged her out in the in public square. The guy was no place to be found, huh? That's interesting. And Jesus is kind of drawn in the sand, and he says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. You're familiar with that story. If you keep reading, they all disperse, beginning with the oldest. Because the older men in that crowd knew that they had forgotten something. And Jesus brings it out into the forefront. And humility is simply admitting that we're always missing something. And every one of us, beloved, every one of us in this room has found ourselves in a conflict, a business deal, something where we, we were missing. We knew we were right. We knew we had the right point of view. We knew our arguments were solid, but there was more information we didn't have. Anyone that's been a school teacher knows that. You know, I had parents over the 25 years, I'd have parents come in to see me and they were hotter than a bucket of red ants because their son or daughter went home and told them this story about what happened in my classroom and what happened on this test and what I did and da-da-da-da-da. And by the time I unpacked the details and I was a fastidious record keeper, I knew what day of the week they were chewing gum at Briarwood. And so I'd lay it out and all, I had time after time, I'd have a parent turn to their child and go, is that true? And that was the end of it, because the truth came out. Second thing about knowledge is that arrogance is a sure sign that I'm playing a large role in my own tiny story. You know, someone said that the smallest package in the world is a man wrapped up in himself. And I think that's a cute little way of putting it. And I've, I've learned this. I've learned even in my own life that a person has a small world. If you have a small world, it produces two things. If you have a small world, it produces either boredom, because you've explored all the corners of your small world and there's nothing left to explore. And I have conversations like this with some students, you know. Life is boring. No, you're boring. Life's not boring. Life's huge. Get out of your little world and find out it's bigger. It either produces boredom or arrogance. If I master my little world, then I know everything about it. 
And so arrogance is oftentimes evidence that a person's world is too small, which means their story is too small and they're too big in it. G.K. Chesterton said once, how much bigger could your world be if you occupied less space in it? And I think there's a truth to that when it comes to knowledge, all right? Second one, second truth that you won't see on social media is this, that those who truly know that they don't know Trust in a God who does. We see this in Augur's words. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. That theme about adding to God's word shows up here, shows up in the book of Deuteronomy against false prophets. It shows up at the last book of the Bible about adding anything to this, the words of this book. You know what that is? God says, don't mess with my story. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Don't inject yourself into it bigger than you should be. And so we have some things here that a, a person who truly knows that they don't know trusts in a God who does, who does know. And Agur really believed this. He really knew and he trusted the words of God. He, he said that the words, every word of God is true. But it's more important than that. And as, as you get older, and this is particularly true for those of you that are younger, Agur trusted in God when there were no words from God. And I have to tell you that somewhere along the path for all of us will come a time when God will just go dark in your life, you know? Beautiful passage in Job 23, behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot behold him. On the left hand, when he is working, I do not perceive him. I turn to the right hand, but I do not see him. But he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Or Isaiah 50, who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Listen to this. Who walks in darkness and has no light, yet trusts in the name of the Lord and relies upon his God. That was, that was Agur, because he said that the word of God was a refuge. It's a place to hide. It was a place of protection. And he trusted in God even when there were no words from him. And I'm just telling you this, God goes silent sometimes. Doesn't mean he's not there. It doesn't mean he's not there. Third thing is Agur didn't try to speak for God to cover up what he didn't understand about him. I think sometimes you and I find ourselves answering questions to people that we really have no answers to. I don't know our three a three-word sentence that we as Christians need to embrace, as well as a four-word sen four sentence, would you forgive me? But I don't know. I get asked questions about what is God doing in your life? Are you mad at God about this stuff with your grandson? What's God doing? I don't know what God's doing. He doesn't send out a newsletter or an e-blast every week and tell me what he's doing in my life or other people's life. I have to trust in the character of the Lord, I have to trust in the fact that on Golgotha, suspended between heaven and earth, God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the umbrella under which my misunderstanding and lack of understanding has to go, all right? Rejecting God's words is not the mark of a modern mind. It's the mark of a fool according to the scriptures. 
Proverbs says, he who trusts in his own mind is a fool. God has a story. It's a narrative. It really is going on. It's not just a cool thing to give your life to to make you feel good. It's really what's happening. And the fool says in his heart, there is no God. He doesn't become a fool because he says that. He becomes a fool because he's living in another story. Neglecting God's words. Neglecting God's words is the fastest route to becoming cold-blooded, becoming like my culture, becoming like my zip code, being affected by the outside rather than transformed by the inside. And I'll tell you this, please look up here. I, I mean, I'm gonna, someday I'll be gone. I will be. Could be sooner than later. But we need a generation that's committed to the scriptures, knowing the scriptures, not just being able to find it on a smart device, but knowing it, being able to say in the future and in the present, that's not what God says or that's not what God means. It's a strong, strong thing. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart for from it flow the springs of life. God says, pay attention to what you're becoming. Don't neglect my word. Take heed lest you forget the things which your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Keep your face in the book, your knees on the ground. Dire need for us. Third thing, those who know that they don't know what God knows, they do know what to pray. Those who know that they don't know what God knows, know what to pray. Two things have I asked of the Lord. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. This is the prayer of Agur. It's a prayer that people have heard bits and fragments of, but it, no one's heard of it. Last time I spoke here, a book exploded called The Prayer of Jabez, that everybody, nine million copies were sold about a prayer of some obscure guy in the book of Chronicle, praying for blessing, praying for more property, praying for the absence of pain, all the things that turn you away from God, by the way. And here's this little prayer buried into this book, all right? It's his life prayer is the only prayer in the book of Proverbs. This prayer, this prayer of Agur. The word prayer only shows up three times in the book, and it's all verses about prayer, two of them about prayer of the unrighteous, the word ask only shows up once in the book of Proverbs, and it shows up in this verse. Two things I ask of thee, deny them not to me before I die. He prayed that God would keep him from pursuing emptiness. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. The word falsehood there means vanity or emptiness. You know, Scripture says that you and I resemble what we chase. We become like what we chase because we chase what's important to us. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And Agra says, keep this away from me. Don't let me chase empty stuff. He also prayed. A second thing he prayed is that God would keep him from perpetuating falsehood. Keep far from me emptiness and lying. You know, someone said that if you always tell the truth, you don't have to ever keep track of what you say, which is a good thing for old guys like me. I'm going to take me a half hour to find my car in the parking lot after I teach here this morning. So... But you know what? I don't have to manage my image if I speak the truth. And I've been studying online culture and technology for 20 years. I do a lot of teaching on it. And one of the things that's stressing, particularly junior and senior high people, is trying to manage their online persona. 
because, I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out if you've been in that world at all, there, there, there's a lot of image management going on out there that's not true in terms of who people present themselves to be. And some kids are just absolutely stressed because they've got multiple online accounts and they're just trying to make sure everything they're saying lines up. You don't have to do that if you speak the truth. And finally, he, and this was the most important thing, I think. He prayed that what he possessed, what he possessed, the things he had, would never affect what he confessed, his faith, his dependence on God. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Beloved, that is the boldest, I'm telling you this, it's the boldest prayer in this Bible. Give me neither poverty nor riches, lest I be full and deny thee and say, who is the Lord? Book of Hosea, the book of Hosea deals with that one. When they were hungry, I fed them. When I fed them, they became satisfied. Then they forgot me. Or the other one, lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Okay, three warnings, I think, come out of, the, out of Agur, and then we're going to look at three questions we can ask ourselves. First one is, I think, a warning about being swept away. Being swept away. The allure of more. You know, what, what does it take me to be happy? What is, how much do I need? And usually what comes, honestly, what comes to my mind is just a little more than I have. <laughs> not quite there, not quite there. And the scriptures, beloved, are just are so full of passages about this. The parable of the soils. Parable of the soils. We're going to talk about that twice here as we close. I think my generation, kind of the baby boom generation, I think we've got to be careful that we don't, we don't become the thorny soil, the soil where the deceitfulness of wealth and the cares of this life choke us and we don't bear fruit for the kingdom. You know, I'm, I'll be 68 in July, and I'm kind of trying to figure out how to get this ship in the harbor. I'm pretty sure I know kind of where it's headed. I have no idea which port I'm going to land in or when. But end-of-life issues, all of a sudden, the stuff that I didn't think was important when I was in my 20s and 30s, now it's real important. So I'm trying to manage that. But at the same time, I don't, I don't ever want that to become the consuming thing in my life. You know, I think that God enables some folks to, when they, they, they can quit working at a certain time. Some of the neatest stories I've heard and there's some of them going on in this room, uh, of people that, that invested well, lived frugally, and now they're, now they're supporting themselves in ministry. I know people that have bought buildings that they're using for ministry. I know people that have, are self-supporting missionaries in other countries using their retirement funds to go take the gospel elsewhere. And I think we've got to be really careful. There's so many, so many passages in Scripture ab about this. In Deuteronomy, be careful. God says, be careful, lest when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, and who led you through the terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and fed you with water. And all that stuff is from Deuteronomy 8. So one of the things we learned from Agur, don't, he said, don't give me too much. I don't want to deny you. A second warning that comes out of this book for us is falling away. And I mentioned this. This is the narcotic of neglect, just protecting our hearts. You know, there's folks that find themselves away from God over time, and some people turn and walk away from him because of a tragedy or they feel like God's failed them or whatever. But the greater temptation is for us to slowly get off track over time. And the way we stay on track is to keep our face in the word where God can speak to us. 
God can speak to us. And the third warning is running away. When deep pain meets shallow theology. You know, I get, I get a little in trouble sometimes when I say this, but I have to say it because I believe it's important. You know, those of you that are younger, in your 20s and 30s, uh, this one I think is important. A lot, of, a lot of people are studying these generations, and one of the things that characterizes the rising generations is a difficulty handling pain, rejection, disappointment, and dashed dreams. Um, and that, in a very real sense, is the parable of the soils. Again, it's the rocky soil. And the rocky soil was not soil that had rocks in it. It was a thin layer of dirt on a rock shelf. And what happened, according to Jesus, is that the, the plants just, there's a whole lot of stuff going on up here. A lot of motion, a lot of movement, a lot of fellowship, a lot of praise, a lot of worship, a lot of activity, but the roots aren't being set down. And it says that when persecution comes because of the word, it withers. And this is what happens when deep pain meets shallow theology. I've got to have roots that go deep in times of drought. And we get this. We get this from, we get this from Agra. So here's, here's some questions we can ask ourselves. And I think this one, this first one I think is a good one. Do I have a life prayer? I mean, just a passage of scripture that I'm asking God to fulfill in my life. If you don't have one, I wouldn't go rummaging for one. I would just start praying for one and say, Lord, speak to me about something that I can lay claim to and ask you to fulfill in my life. You know, my four kids have a thing called a mezuzah. It's a Hebrew letter shin from the Shema. Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. Jew Jewish families have them on their homes and they touch them when they go in and out. They're in buildings. And inside the, the, the Jewish ones, there's a passage, four, three or four passages of scripture that inside my kids... I've rolled up a little scroll, and it's got Isaiah 59, 22 in it. And it says, as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I've put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth or from the mouths of your children or from the mouths of their, their descendants from this time forth and forever, says the Lord. That's my life prayer, that God's spirit and God's word would never depart from me and that it may stay in my family for at least three generations. Find a prayer that you just want God. Agur had one. Two things have I asked of the Lord. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying, and give me neither riches nor poverty, but feed me with the food that's needful for me. And that was his prayer. Second, am I paying attention to what I'm becoming? Am I paying attention? Just a self-assessment. You know, ask, ask Someone that knows you best, not those who appreciate you most, <laughs> but those who know you best. Have I changed much in the last year or two or three? Or how have I? And listen carefully. We need, we need people speaking into our lives the truth. Third one, am I willing to admit I, I don't know <laughs> when it's really true? I don't know. I don't know. That phrase I've used a lot. Another phrase I've used about the scriptures is, it doesn't say. It doesn't say. I know, but what do you think? It doesn't say. We tend to speculate when the scriptures are silent. And we tend to pontificate when we don't know something. It's okay for us to be able to say to someone, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't know. Why would God, if God's a loving God, 
Why would God allow this, 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 or this? You know, I don't know why that happened. I do know some things about him, but I don't know. Agur, mentioned once, a prayer, a prayer, a bold prayer. Lord, give me enough, not too little, not too much. Worth emulating, guy worth following. Okay, I mean, don't you think Agur's a pretty amazing guy? I mean, a man with a two-syllable name who appears once in the Bible and has such a profound thing to teach us. There was that other guy with a two-syllable name whose name appears three times as often as Agur. His name is Jabez, and he's mentioned three times, all of it in a single verse in 1 Chronicles chapter 4. And like Agur, Jabez had a prayer too, and his prayer was the rage for a few years among Christians. I mean, there were Jabez keychains, there were Jabez drink coasters, Jabez bookmarks. There was even a Jabez prayer shawl written in Hebrew, if you can believe that. Jabez's prayer, though, was the opposite of Agur's. Jabez asked God to give him lots of land and very little pain. In other words, he says, Lord, give me stuff and give me a Disney life. That was Jabez's prayer. You know, and as a guy who's been dragged around the block a few times, I have to tell you that pain and need are the things that keep us close to God. Lots of stuff and a life of ease, well, that's pretty much a guarantee that God's name is going to drop off our contact list. You know, Agur asked God for lots of him and just enough stuff. Or, as Jesus would put it so much more beautifully a thousand years later, give us this day our daily bread and lead us not into temptation. You know something, beloved? I'm with Agur. You know, Jabez may be the ghost of Christmas present, but I think Agur is the saint of Christmas past. The first Christmas, in fact. So, as we move into this season celebrating the scandal of eternity, I mean, God taking on skin, the son of righteousness taking on sin, or even thinking of it as the potter becoming a pot, let's try just a little harder to recover what really happened in that manger that was surrounded by pagan wise men and astounded shepherds. It was the birth of the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Shalom. So have a blessed time celebrating the Incarnation this year because this month, beloved, the road to Shalom leads us back to Bethlehem.